The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to This Is Your Laugh, the podcast that interviews well-known female stand-ups and comedy actors about what comedy has taught them about life. This podcast is brought to you by Comedy 5050 and we're your hosts, Roxy and Alice. Our guest today is stand-up comedian Olga Koch. Originally hailing from Russia, she moved to Surrey at the age of 13, where she attended the American International School in England. As an improviser, she trained at the Upright Citizens Brigade, which has produced the likes of Amy Poehler, and where the hit sitcom Broad City was originally conceived and developed. In 2018, she was nominated for Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Comedy Awards for her debut hour, Fight, which later transferred to London's Soho Theatre and details the ludicrously true story of her dad's journey from being Russia's Deputy Prime Minister to game show host to living in exile in Germany since being mysteriously stopped at Moscow Airport a few years ago. She's at the Edinburgh Fringe again this year with her new show If Then, which tells a love story through the medium of computer programming. Olga's appeared on The Now Show, Mock the Week and Please Like, and has written for Newsjack and BBC Three's A Quickie in the Office. Olga Koch, welcome to the show. I have never fancied myself more. Ah, <laughs> yes, that is the intention. Wow. <laughs> That's why we do these. Such a sexy biog. <laughs> I thought you totally got away with the pronunciation of Koch then very well. Well, as it's well. my Welsh background, even oh. though it's a Russian name. Oh, yes. That's you know, it. That's there's it. actually a castle Koch. Which means yes, there is. Yes, there is. There's is one red castle or something. It means. <laughs> I'm no. not sure. It's also a German last name. It's not a Russian one. Oh. But and it means cook in Ooh. Germany. It's like one of the most common German last names. So I have a very common Russian name and a very common. Um, German last name. So but, being like Pierre Gonzalez would be. <laughs> oh, wow. So no, no German heritage. I have German heritage. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, right. That's more understandable. <laughs> but like the, the, the same way that like Italian people in America are like, we're Italian. Yes. Okay. But, yeah. So it's really. like John Smith over here or something like that. Well, John Smith, not real. Okay, so why I say Pierre Gonzalez, because Pierre is very common French and Gonzalez is very common Spanish. So John Smith's like English, English. Yes. So mm-hmm. Olga Koch is... Russian German. Okay, so it's like Juan Smith. There we go. There we <laughs> go. Done it. You got it. I yes. love it. My surname is Metcalf, and it means. Sorry, just to talk about me for a second. Please. That's I, why everyone's tuned in. That's why everyone's <laughs> here, guys, right? It, it means butcher of meat, which oh. is disgusting. And I'm a vegetarian. So that's weird because we, when we used to call ourselves fishermen and butcher, these were our going out no, together. No, this is not a story that's worth telling. On the Wait, please, names, please, we, we nicknamed ourselves fishermen and butcher. So you were actually a butcher. That does actually, I didn't even realise that Wait, did time. you did you only fuck vegetarians or vegetarians? <laughs> <laughs> go out in like I don't know Shoreditch or somewhere and like uh, you know go up to people and they'd be like hey what do you do and we'd be like oh we're fishermen and, and oh butcher. that's butcher. cool yeah. that's really cool and then cool. the little confusion on their faces that's really cool you were actually you are in your origins a butcher fascinating yeah, that's what, what is your last name so we have a cook and a butcher uh, mine is a mound of earth done it's just that, you know. Um, what's really nice about hill. Roxy's name is, um, in the past, it's been read out backwards. You know, you're they're like Koch, Olga. Mm-hmm. You know, and with Roxy, it's like Dun Roxy. Yay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely had that bit. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Olga, back to you. 
how was how was that? Was that all? That was kind of accurate, apart from the yeah. Beginning? I mean, it, it sounds like about thirty three percent sexier than it is in real life. Mm. You were doing some sexy voices at the end. Of the <laughs> you were like really doing the intonations there. I was yeah. trying to channel my fern cotton. You know, apparently, like the success yeah. of these things is in how much color you put in your voice. Ooh. She does it a lot better than that. Very NPR. Very I love it. Oh, thank you. Thanks, God. I think I was just going very very fast. I realized how much we had to get through. I mean, it's a long it's a long bio you've got there. It is very for long. such a short life, really so far I mean we cannot I mean mostly the reason why that biog is so long is because of your dad um, and also your amazing achievements because of your dad (laughs) are there sound effects on this podcast (laughs) we can add one in (laughs) but that's interesting because you mentioned about the dad then so when you wrote wrote that show was there any sense of going am I allowed to tell this story did you check it with your family or did you just go for it and then how did they sort of take it so okay I don't I don't condone this. I don't recommend this. I don't think this works with everybody. It's just that my father wrote a four-page part economics book, part family biography that included all of our family, including like our family photos. And at no point did he ask us if that was okay. So I felt like, A, I had ammo if he ever said, oh, what are you doing? And then B, I was so, so open about it to the point where like I showed up to, uh, to my house at Christmas and just photocopied all these photos. And it, I, they saw me do it so openly that at this point, like, I feel... As if you act if it's normal, then no one can question it. Absolutely. So at no point was I lying or like keeping it from them. But you know they say like, oh, you you sneak into the Met Gala dressed up, just wear wear a tuxedo and just walk really confidently. Like that's what I did with the show and my and my family's permission. Wow. <laughs> Missing crimes in broad daylight. Like, yeah. Being like, well, I think she just did that, but she did it so openly. Exactly. I guess, like it's exactly. okay. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Nice. Right. Nice. Nice tactic. And so they're totally fine with it then. Yeah, they came to see the show. I I mean, they barely speak any English, but... Did they understand it? (laughs) A lot of it was visual, so they laughed at all the visuals. And then, I mean, like, they could get, like, I mean, intonation and stuff. But my mom found it really moving and kind of bizarre in that it was weird that her daughter was telling her her own life story Mm. back to her in a foreign language about a time when her daughter wasn't even alive. Yeah. Like, I can't can't imagine. That's just so surreal. Oh, completely. And right? through your lens of how you understand it as exactly. well, which is probably quite insightful for her. Just such like a f- weird feedback loop. So for people who haven't seen Fight, your show, can you just give us a very compoted history of what happened to your dad? I mean, it sounds like you already did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I missed out the bit where he was um, vilified for... What was it that he did before he game, became a, a game show He was host? just very openly against the government, like outspoken against the government. Uh, he was part of the oppositionary party yeah. and just very critical of generally like corruption and the power situation in Russia. What does he think about it now out of interest? Can you say? Is Not it- a fan. Oh my God, he's on Facebook daily. He's like the ultimate Facebook dad. <laughs> <laughs> this is horrible. Yeah, like he's uh, anti that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well um, then are you quite a political family generally would you say i know obviously he was in politics but in terms of when you're sitting around having a sunday roast or whatever oh definitely 100 percent. yeah that, that i also Russian think sunday roast oh, oh, no, i don't man. know maybe you do <laughs> <laughs> we just roast my dad um it's uh it's really interesting i think having a very political family from russia and people who are in russia considered quite progressive for who they are mm. um it is such am i allowed to curse 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. You've I, already done it, I think. A, definitely have. B, I also th- think it's such a cliche to be on a podcast and be like, are we allowed to curse on this? <laughs> it's great. You did sorry, it. It worked. Oh, it was great. I'm a horrible cliche. But I think it's such a clusterfuck to see. There's basically a joke in my show. You really, I'm really glad that it was clusterfuck that came out. Yeah. It's like, you know, you bothered to check it, so it was a good one. Uh-huh. So a clusterfuck. So a clusterfuck. I'm tr- I, mean, I am making a point, I promise. There was a joke in my show about how different doesn't mean good and how there's so many f- f- false dichotomies and false binaries in the world how like it, there is a good and a bad in reality there's so many different flavors of bad um uh that like not the stasi came after the nazis and they're both pretty bad mm. um but like their stasi officers would put nazi officers in prison so that is insane so every time i, I give a blowjob i say this is going to change your life and then i bite their dick off um <laughs> Which is technically true. So <laughs> I think having my parents seem progressive in the in the landscape of Russia and then twi- turning and being like, oh, but my dad is also a Trump supporter, is just such a clusterfuck where he's like, I kind of agree with him in that Putin is bad, but I also fundamentally disagree with him that Trump is good. And it's just so interesting to to see that, like, oh, there aren't just two viewpoints. Sure. Well, you said something, actually, in an interview where, where you talked about when you moved to the UK, suddenly thinking you were quite liberal and then realising how conservative in comparison yes. you were. Oh, my God. Have you read an interview with me? Well, this was like a quote in one of the, uh, I don't know, one of your yes, Edinburgh interviews. <laughs> yes, exactly. There we go. Thank um, you so much. Yeah. And I'm also sorry. <laughs> so what were the ways then, was it sort of like pop culture? What, what um, your general viewpoints that you found you suddenly were encountering much more liberal ones among your schoolmates and stuff well I think I thought like living in Russia it was like progressive of me to be tolerant to gay people key operative word being tolerant and then you come and you're like oh that's actually quite regressive to be like it's okay. You guys can hold hands. Do you know what I mean? But I was yeah. also I was like 13 and 14 and I was just a dumb idiot who just repeated everything my parents said. But but acknowledging the fact that for my parents coming out, living into their mid-30s in the communist society, for them being tolerant to gay people was like a huge deal in all in, all in itself. Yeah. And even with my mom now, she's in her 60s and like seeing the how she was towards them in their 40s and then I like my best friend is gay and I live with him and how she's like warmed up to him and how like banal it is like once you personify and like see humanize a concept you're so much more open to it and my mom is just like completely okay with it now yeah maybe it's interesting though because actually that same viewpoint could be considered to be more liberal if you're in a society where it's not allowed than it would be to be like celebrating um you know gay people yeah. in this country because it's it's so you know it's such a liberal country yeah, 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 mainly yeah, yeah. live in so actually there is that context say. yeah context. context there we go yeah Olga when did you first know that you wanted to be a comedian I it, it's really interesting because I think it is connected to having the culture shock of realizing that I wasn't actually in the right in a lot of things that I thought and moving at 13 14 to a more western society uh, my mind had to be changed very fast about a lot of things. And the way that it was changed was through comedy. So I remember like binging on 30 Rock and just being like, okay, well, this is how I'm meant to think. Like watching The Office and all these kind of bits and pieces. And I realized that because I was such an arrogant teenager, if someone condescendingly was like, no, this is the way to think, I would just be immediately defensive. So the only way to genuinely change my lo- change my mind was through poking fun of me right like mm. if you were made fun of me or or i saw 
or I saw an episode of a sitcom that like would poke at, fun at the views that I had, I'd just be like so ashamed and I'd be like, maybe, maybe I am wrong, right? Um, so knowing the power of comedy, knowing that comedy changed my mind on so many things, I feel that that's the only way to change people's minds. So going back to computer sciences, so you didn't set out to be a comedian and then decide to get training as a backup in another field, <laughs> as it were, or, or you did? I think part of it was that one of the things, so I talk in my show now about how it's such a mindfuck, this time it's a mindfuck, to be a woman in computers, uh, sorry, a woman in Russia, just because in some ways it is quite, like, backwards in that, like, women are pressured to look a certain way and, like, women's rights are awful. But in other ways, like, abortions are readily available and have been since, uh, since like, the Soviet Union and at no point, like, that's not something that anyone is questioning. And in one another way, it is that um, technical professions have never been gendered to me. From a young age, both my grandmothers were engineers. So it oh, was, wow. and my mom was an economics major. Like, at no point did I think that girls couldn't do computer science. And I was pretty good at math in and, and high school, and I was like, well, this this is logical. And also, I don't think my parents would have paid for a degree that, was like arts. Okay, right, right, yeah. So you were doing stand-up while you were doing your computer science training or you waited to do all of the improv and stand-up till you left? I only started doing stand-up in the UK when I moved for a job here. In university, I was doing a lot of sketch. So I was doing loads and loads and loads of sketch. I wrote for my university sketch team. And then I moved here. I was like, I'm going to continue doing sketch, but I don't really know anyone here. So I'm going to start doing stand-up to start a sketch team. And then I started doing stand-up, and I was like, I'm never showing the spotlight again. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What is it? What's that feeling that you get from just being up there on your own that you don't get when you're in a team of people? Oh man, I just I just think that it's the I could literally say anything, right? Because you work with the room and it exists with inside of the room. So like a noise, a bottle click uh, can be like can change what you're gonna say. Like you walking out on stage and just seeing like oh it's mostly women or it's like oh mostly young people, and then you you could just adjust your set based on that, and you could work with the room as opposed to like coming out and having a set script. Do you feel like you could do that from the beginning, or did you have to get to a level where you could relax enough to actually be able to even you know notice? what's in the room because I imagine if you come in and you're very nervous and it's early stages on in your career you just be thinking about getting through the material trying to like mind the little moments making sure that you know the timing's right and all of that stuff I mean I'm not a stand-up so I could be really massively oversimplifying here but did it take a little while to then go oh actually there is a man over there who's doing something weird with his glass yeah and you know this room is full of whatever x y and z dogs skinheads (laughs) skinheads (laughs) skinhead dogs um I think at the very beginning, I only did uh, one liner. So essentially, it was just like a glorified list of tweets that I would come out and I would just like shake, shakingly trembling in my voice, would talk out. Um, but with time, and I think a lot, with a lot of help from improv class, I got comfortable with being in the moment. And that is the best part of it now. interested in terms of your Edinburgh show then so how much were you you say not having it scripted but presumably large chunks of it are scripted so how much are you changing and when you go out on the night and you're seeing who's there 
So I think that's the major difference between my first show and my second show. My first show was so constrained with slides, with sound cues, with tech, with light cues. And in that way, I think I'm very proud of the storytelling show that it was. And I'm proud that um, me and the show operator and Brooks as the producers and Charlie Dinkin, the incredible director, we created this like really cool multimedia experience that I'm really proud of. But with this show, this coming up, it's so like bare bones. I'm doing it at Monkey Barrel, which is like a dream venue, but it's so stand up, stand up, stand up that I'm so like, I find it thrilling that I could move two pieces around and no one will know. (laughs) Or like if someone does a weird laugh or like doesn't laugh or like makes, does a laugh, but with a noise, I know I can have like a topper in the back of my head that I'm like, maybe I'll pull this one out, which is so exciting. Like I'm so excited about doing the show just because it's so stand up. Yeah. So tell us a bit about, it from what I understand from the blurb it's a love story told through the medium of computer programming is that right yes okay so give us a little bit of info into it do your sales pitch for everybody coming up to the Edinburgh Fringe this year I've been doing so so many sales pitches and then at that like I've done so many and at this point I'm just like I need to I need to fulfill every promise I've made over the past year before this thing was even written. I need to write the show. (laughs) Will we be able to understand all of it not having background in computer science? Of course, of course. I think, yeah, I was talking to someone the other week and they were like, oh, is it only for geeks? I'm like, no, geeks will hate it because it's like really simple stuff. Really? Like, yeah, the same way. I think one of my favorite things to do is hopefully, oh my God, fingers crossed, talk about complex things in a non-condescending way because I know that I've seen a lot of stand-up that has just been like so condescending to me Mm. and I don't enjoy it. Mm. Um, And so that's like my goal. But also if you're like a Russian, like a Russian history major, you would have probably not really liked the show because you'd be like, I know all this. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So it's not geared towards like brainiacs. No, but I love that that we're going to learn something about computer programming or computer science. Is it similar computer science and computer programming? It's all the same. Right. There's such like a myth of male genius around the whole thing. Like it's not, it's not difficult. And also like all of us code in daily life. Like I just think that it's so. Really? How, how do how did I code today? Or what have I done? I mean, literally any, like you've used an app. Oh, right. And that's coding. I mean, essentially. Yeah. Like you giving something instructions, like that's literally coding. Because it builds algorithms, or I mean, yeah, I just, just like, don't like, understand it. I think, I think, I mean, I had that same approach, but at the end of the day, it's like just learning a new language. It's not, it's not hard, and we've. She l- says to someone that's bilingual, and we are not. It's <laughs> <laughs> so easy, guys. All of it, like all of us, do it all the time. I'm sorry. I Did will you... take that. I have coded today. I've changed my settings on my Google Calendar to stop my notifications. Yes, <laughs> you have. Like you like scheduling an email to go out on a certain time. Like that's literally coding. That's so do that interesting. Yes. What do you think is the future then of, just briefly, from your background and your knowledge about where these things can go, do you think that we're looking at very different mediums in the future in terms of our entertainment then? That's using all that technology. Yes. yes. Oh my God. I could talk about this forever. So first of all, hate it when people are like, it's us versus the machines. It's not, again, a false dichotomy, a false binary. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Why? Because the machines are created by us. It's all just us. It's us against us. There's no there's no uprising of anybody who's going to come against us. That's not what to be scared of. What you should be scared of is artificial intelligence. And why? Not because they're going to take over, but because I was sitting with a person who works in AI and he would just like glimmer in his eyes was talking about how imagine listening to a song and the song wasn't written by anybody, but it was created by an algorithm that knows every song you've ever heard, that knows how many times you've played it, that knows which part of the song that you liked, what chord progressions, what frequencies, what notes, what, uh, what voices. And so it created a song so perfect for you 
that no one in the whole world could write it because it is made for you and only you. And when I heard that, I got terrified. But when he was saying it, he was like, but why would I ever want to listen to any approximation of what I like when something can create something that I like, right? And that could be with movies, that could be with, I mean, cartoons, TV shows, books, whatever, because that is catered towards your specific preferences. And um, and I think the diff- that the thing to be scared of is that some people are genuinely thrilled by that idea and others are absolutely terrified because that's kind of like the death of creativity. Well, I suppose all your experience of those mediums becomes really subjective and then you don't have talking points and then I suppose if you're escalating that, maybe empathy goes because you can't relate to each other on the level of you that know, sounds like I, a person in the arts being panicked about being obsolete. <laughs> my job, my job. <laughs> I'm losing my job. But yeah, and then I think I completely agree with you, but I also completely see where they're coming from. And I think it's it's a change of like context and like change of how you see things because again, they like they I mean, I don't like this particular person, but I think there's a lot of people in the AI community who are like People, we're going to live forever. Singularity, we're going to live forever. And you're like, but I don't want to live forever. All my friends are going to die. And they're like, okay, well, no, no. So first you're going to say, I don't want to live forever. And they ask you, why don't you want to live forever? You say, all my friends are going to die. They're like, your friends are going to live forever too. Okay, Um, my brain will be bad and my organs will decay. Well, we'll replace your organs and everything will be fine. Uh, Well, I'll be bored. What do you mean bored? We're just going to be like an uh, infinite, like influx of information. So essentially like... There's, I guess that's the difference to be, like, you're either going to be on board with this way of thinking, of kind of like, let's fix all these things that you find inevitable or axiomatic. That's to, that's the thing to be scared of, that way of thinking, mm. as opposed to robots uprising. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, yeah, it just feels like a weird I don't know one, if this though. has anything to do with comedy. No, but it doesn't, no, it doesn't matter. So it's just an interesting one, yeah. But presumably would there still be... Would a human still be the vehicle if they were then going to be the one creating the stand-up set? Or would it literally be a robot speaking the perfect stand-up set that's been designed <laughs> yeah. to make everybody laugh so, you know, perfectly I would assume it, everything would be... I mean, that, this utopia that we're talking about is just like or a dystopia. utopia <laughs> or dystopia or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I suppose it's just like a, a, a life of consumption, isn't it? Well, yeah, although don't we already have that? I mean, it's just we're the ones who are making it rather than the robots. I mean, even thinking about the fact that your story is a love story through the medium of computer programming. I mean, Tinder, Hinge, all of those things are sort of using that technology and creating, you know, love stories of their own in that sense as well. Ten years ago, it was embarrassing to meet people on an app. Now people all meeting on apps. And I think that should be done for friendship just because there's so many adult people like moving to new places who can't meet friends and it's very difficult for them but they have them oh. um, the meet for friends and that's like an option on these apps a lot yeah, of them, yeah like bumble bff yeah, but i yeah. feel like there is still a social stigma around that like if you're looking for a friend on an app people are like what are you a loser the same way that people were treated on like totally. match.com so 20 years take ago a while for yeah. to get on yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah. Though, that makes sense definitely yeah i'm wondering what success looks like for you currently and whether that looked very different when you were a kid so did you always have an idea about what success would look like in your mind as a child and has that changed now and what you want for your sort of you know future self all I want is a bunch of kids and to uh reach 80 and then start doing a bunch of hard drugs and then (laughs) after that only wear white linen and live on a cold beach like in Cornwall or New England and then just like at some point just be like heroin walked into the sea. I think what you're describing <laughs> sounds like a cult. <laughs> no, but I'm doing it alone. You're doing it alone? Yeah, and all my kids are like, yeah, mom. <laughs> oh, wow, so you're the cult leader. Oh, I suppose. <laughs> so no no comedy in that at all then? Just 
Oh, I mean, like, I could tell you what I'm doing up until 80, but I just know what I'm doing <laughs> at 80. Wherever you're at in your career, that's it. You're yeah, like if I'm receiving an Oscar at 80, this, the, when the clock strikes, whenever I turn 80, I'm out of the, what is it, the Kodak Theater, <laughs> and into the ocean I go. Because <laughs> actually, you are an actress uh, as well, aren't you? Or actor. Oh, God, know, no, you know. absolutely not. Your Wikipedia says oh, as much. False, it also it says again. writer, actor, stand-up. <sighs> we went with the one that we definitely knew was true. I feel like with stand-up, they, they sometimes fall into two categories and some people are doing it as a means to get to uh, TV acting work and other people are doing it because they are hardcore stand-up fanatics and mm-hmm. those people are doing everything else as a byproduct, but stand-up's their main strand and you're the, the latter of that, right, of those? As in, stand-up's your love. That's the one you're... You're not doing that to get somewhere else, as it were. I suppose, yes. I like it all. I like it all. I think probably this, the latter makes more sense to me, but it also it's like, it's what I know. And so I don't know whether I want it because that's all I know, and I'm, like, risk-averse. And um, another thing is that if I had to, like, mirror anyone's career tra- trajectory, it would have to be Aubrey Plaza. Oh, she's amazing. She All she does is, like... Bad shit stuff. She was like, she was like, oh, Hallmark is making a Grumpy Cat movie. I want to be the voice of Grumpy Cat. So she called up the studio. She's like, I want to be the voice of Grumpy Cat. Oh my She's God. like in Chucky now. She does whatever the hell she wants, and that's what I want to do. I want to have like in just enough fame clout to just be like. I want to do that. I'm I want to fucking do, do that. Yeah, Make yeah. it happen. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah so it's she's like, great. It has absolutely nothing to do with like artistic integrity or just like nothing noble, nothing virtuous. Just like something that looks sounds fun. Yeah, and also just even aside from work stuff, those are the sorts of people that can just be like, I think I want to watch that match at Wimbledon, and they'll just get tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, just, they get, get stuff they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what? So, the but also scene... you know, she's like, if she goes to a foreign country, maybe like she wouldn't get recognized. So it's not that she's like inconveniently famous. Totally. Mm. Totally, it's a perfect totally. amount, yeah, actually. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You were on Mock the Week recently. Yeah. Well, I say recently. You probably filmed it a long time ago, didn't you? Or actually, no, you, no it wouldn't be because yeah, it's, current, it's a news show. It's yeah, current yeah. affairs, yeah. What was that like? What was that experience like? Oh, really cool. Because you were excellent on it. Oh, my God, you watched it? Of course I watched it. I think she's it. just saying that. I loved it. Um, shout out to literally everybody who was super, super nice, but specifically Tom Allen, who literally every question he got asked, he would be like, and what do you think, Olga? Oh, Which is so yeah. nice. Because it's so difficult to like say anything. Um, I wonder, how do you do that? How do you, do you have to time it perfectly and think, this is my moment right now and I have to go for it? Because you need so much bravery to be able to just go, I'm going to cut across whoever it is, Dara or someone, and, and say my thing now put well, my it was my now. first time there and I think everybody wanted me to have a nice time nice yeah, um, yeah. so I would say yeah so if if they heard me talk they would not talk over me I guess yeah that's great <laughs> yeah it's nice and... but it, it, I mean I, I think I was completely silent for the first 30 minutes of a three hour recording it's three hours Just, long yeah three right. hours long I was completely silent I was like I don't I'm never gonna say anything and then what happened and at some point I was like I need to say something. <laughs> They're paying me. <laughs> How did you um, rev yourself up beforehand? Do you have like a pre-show kind of ritual or is it just about getting on with it? Just to a bunch of Lord? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's my ritual any day. I listen to so much Lord before coming on this podcast. Oh, hang on. I thought Amped you said... up on feeling. <laughs> right. Okay. As in the musician. Not... I thought I heard Lore, which is like some kind of like folk podcast about the grim things that have happened. It's not that then. Oh, wow. Are we plugging other podcasts? <laughs> we are not plugging other <laughs> We'll listen to that one next. Yeah, no. So in terms of other stand-up in Russia and comedy and things like that, you said that your work like doesn't really work in 
Russia when you do your set and stuff. Is that just something that's unique to your set? As in, so presumably there is stand-up comedy going on in Russia. Yeah, loads. Yeah, yeah. But so it's just your set in particular, is it, that you think doesn't translate as well? Well, similarly, like I said, the, like my computer science set isn't for computer scientists. It's for people who are going to be introduced to computer science. So telling Russian people about Russian history, they'll be like, w- we know. <laughs> what are you doing? It's just the content. Um, so the, the content doesn't make any sense. And then I think a lot of it is like wordplay. Yeah. And that obviously doesn't translate. And so, like, I, I, I don't think I would never work in Russia. It's just that the, the a simple idea of translating a set just wouldn't work. Like, I'd have to sit down and just write a set for Russia. Yeah. Which and I you, haven't done. Okay. Any interest in doing that? I mean, Absolutely not. No, okay, right. <laughs> I talk about in the new show about the fact that I wake up in the morning and I think through every possible scenario of the day could go, right? And the line is like, there could be, I, there could be a nuclear war or I've won an Oscar, right? And so the idea is that you're constantly <laughs> living through every possible scenario. And as a computer scientist, that's an occupational hazard because when you write a computer program, you have to account for every possible scenario. But for a normal person, that's anxiety, right? And I think for a stand-up comedian, I am only speaking from my own experience, but I can only... Like, I can guess that some other comics also experience this. So the second you told me, what if they reject me and don't laugh? For me, that's the funniest thing that could possibly happen. Because you walk out and you're, like, sad and depressed. But Mm. that meta version of you are like, that's hilarious. You're the biggest loser I've ever seen in my life. Oh, my God. You spent 80 pounds to get to fucking Peterborough. And a bunch of people didn't give a shit what you were saying. What am I doing with my life? And this, that, 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 that's how you kind of deal with that. Because you're like, that. that is the fucking funny thing that just happened. Jesus. What are you eating, a sausage roll? You are fucking pathetic. <laughs> Do you laugh when you trip over and sort of yeah. like, humiliate yourself in general? All yeah. the time. It is yeah. the moment when you have something awful happen where you think, okay, at least this will make a really funny story. Exactly, I guess that's it's exactly that, it. it. Yeah. Oh my god, totally. Yeah. And what a nice way to be able to cope with it as well. Slash slightly sadistic, potentially. <laughs> or masochistic. <laughs> there is totally a disconnect some days between the, the person you present and the person you feel. I think right. a lot of us carry that to greater or lesser extents, you know. But then having to do a show in the evening that you know is coming up and you have an audience... I just can't imagine what that's like. I mean, hats off to you. Oh my God, people love saying it's brave. No, I just like, I love attention. (laughs) But I also love myself to the point where I'm not even willing to pretend to be other people on stage or share the stage with anybody else. It's like, no, it's going to be me. It's going to be alone. And it's going to be me, me, and I'm not going to be pretending is it, to be Is it a heightened else. version of you, or is it literally you? Oh, I think it's me. Okay. And I do your friends that. and family think that, people who really know you? I think so. Yeah, for sure. Has it changed your relationship with your friends and family since you started doing stand-up? Like, my parents are like, oh, this is a cool hobby that you have. <laughs> and so they're just like, that's literally like watching my brother's swim meet is like going to see <laughs> me do a comedy show. Like, to them, it's just, like, a, one of the things that I do, so they don't take it seriously. And with my friends, I think my friends who are not comedians don't see me that do stand-up that often. Um, and the friends who are comedians have only ever known me as a comic. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Also, in in regards to the bravery thing, I need to say this. To be, again, I'm talking out of my ass, and I'm talking about my own pers- specific experience. So, the kind of the blend that you need to be is incredibly delusional. Why? Because when d- nobody laughs, you have to still have the ego to, like, get you through the day. Do you hear but- the laugh in your head, though? The, ah, even if it's not there. <laughs> Or maybe that is that no. is another kind of that, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, sure, sure, maybe not. <laughs> but the second thing, you have to be also, like, hyper self-aware because, like, that's how you iterate on jokes and how you're like, oh, this didn't work, but I need to make it better next time. This is relatable, this is not relatable. So this blend of 
insane self-awareness and insane self-delusion and that balance is what you need to maintain in order to be able to do stand-up comedy i'm not saying be good at it i'm not saying that i'm good at it but the thing that keeps you going is enough self-esteem to get you through people not laughing but enough self-awareness to be like this is what i need to change in order to make them laugh i think that's so well articulated and i think that's what i've been thinking even in relation to anything in the arts so even like being an actor and a writer I've often thought it'd be so much better if I wasn't so self-aware because I'd be more confident. But then if I wasn't so self-aware, I wouldn't be able to produce the work that I'm producing. Does that yeah. make sense? Because it's all driven by that. So, yeah, well said. Are you always <laughs> looking for those opportunities in your daily life to sort of, you know, not play the comic relief, but you're just sort of like, that's really funny. Do you sort of mind the out of tragic things? Do you find the sort of the light to it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's not like, because some people have come on and they say, you know, when I'm not doing stand-up or when I'm not doing comedy acting, I just sort of, I switch off and it's not necessarily there. But do you, do you feel like you're on a lot of the time? I think I'm on all the time, which is exhausting to a lot of people. I feel like maybe I've lost a lot of friends who aren't comedians who are just like, I can't be around her, she's constantly riffing. <laughs> is it an awesome thing for you, though? Does it, like... Because if I spend even, you know, 24 hours having to be on, I'm just exhausted. I just slumber really? on the sofa and I become mute. Yeah. Oh, it it gives like a sense of purpose to me. Okay, like I feel okay. guilt, act of guilt if I don't do it. Because so I'm you... just like, this is who I am and I'm not playing my role in society. <laughs> <laughs> but you're off in the in your own home alone. You're off, right? Or a no, bit. You... But sometimes like I'll be tweeting or I'll be like, what, what would be a funny thing to do? Because mm -hmm. sometimes I think, OK, I talk a lot about like selfless comedy and like something that you only do for yourself. And sometimes like some of my friends do this and like I'll occasionally do it when you just think of something really funny. And you're like, I think this will be a funny thing to do. And this is just for me. Like, for example, if there's like a huge celebrity and you're like, this is the funniest thing I could possibly comment on this. And you know, <laughs> no one will ever see it. Like your friends won't ever see it. But you're just like, I have to do this for myself because this is the funniest thing in the world. And sometimes you'll like see someone being privately funny. And that is just the most purest because it's not for an audience. It's just because they're doing it because they love the game. For the love of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, okay, I get that. That's like, um, I think somebody said to Federer, you know, when are you going to stop? And he was like, I think people just underestimate the joy I get from just hitting a tennis ball. Like, it doesn't matter <laughs> if it's Wimbledon or if someone's yeah. watching if there's yeah, a trophy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. just love yeah. the sport. Yeah. So you love the sport of jokes. There we I go. really do. Okay, so this is one question we ask to all of our interviewees. If there is one thing that comedy's taught you about life, what is it? Dab dabbing is never not funny. Dabbing is never not funny. Yeah, we I don't know. With that. Oh, dabbing. <laughs> I just sets. saw you. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so, the funniest thing, the purest, purest comedy that like any I'm old man, a young man, a fish could <laughs> enjoy is. I mean, I, I, this is horrible for a podcast because this is purely a visual. <laughs> bit, <laughs> but are you ready to see the funniest thing in the whole world? We'll yes. Olga just, I don't, I couldn't even do it justice verbally. She lifted her arms as if she was going to dab in one direction. And we were like, oh, she's going to do it. And then at the last minute, she changed direction. Hey! Oh, oh, it really subverted our expectations. Really did. It was That's fantastic. comedy. That's You're welcome, folks. Right there. So a dab is never not funny. Can you say a dab? Or does that mean yeah, something a different? A dab. Not yeah. dabbing, dab is never funny. What about flossing? Is that, is that funny? Hmm. Um, I just thought it was kind of like young people-y. Yeah. I saw a kid floss, just FYI, for a whole hour without stopping at a wedding recently. My dentist loves it. Yay! And with that, Olga, thank you. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Greatbigowl.com